Hello everyone, welcome to the New Humanist Podcast. I'm Damien and this is episode 41, the 6th of part 6. The topic for today is a problem with Christian morality. Right, so this is a familiar topic for the listener. If you've been following this podcast from the beginning or at some point in the middle, you would know that the subject of morality is something that I have engaged before. In fact, I think this is probably the third time that I'm getting into this particular matter. And and I guess it with good reason to provide some justification in case the listeners wondering, you know, why this, why again? A couple of reasons. First, I mean the motive for this podcast itself. I mean, one of the things that led me to start this, uh, this let's say this initiative to advance the cause of humanism, which is aimed fundamentally as a critique of religion. Now, you may have noticed this podcast basically began as a critique of religion. And at one point, I just felt I had to sort of get this out. It's a lot going on in the world of religion and faith, right? In the Christian world, a lot of talk about evangelization, to engage people, especially young people, the need to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. You know, the usual group of subjects that you hear coming out of religious organizations. And, and at one level, I mean, as someone who's, uh, let's say, who's been through the process, okay, who's familiar with the workings of the Christian world, who's quite... Again, I won't use the word knowledgeable, but aware of what's happening in terms of the broader message, in terms of the dominant narratives, one could say, the greater emphasis that is placed on certain set of subjects. Knowing these, it seems that there are clear incongruities, okay, when it comes to what people want out of life and what religion vis-a-vis God wants out of us, okay? The supposed expectation of God or for man as it's being communicated or transmitted via religion is not something that I find convincing. In fact, it's not just me, it's, it's a lot of people. It's tens of millions, now hundreds of millions probably, of people who are now joining the ranks of, of the post-religious or non-religious, or people who just don't like religion to start with, okay? And, and this is something that ought to give people concern. Now, when it comes to this particular episode on the problem with Christian morality, okay, this is, let's say, sort of a step above in what I've engaged before on this particular subject. I mean, the problem with Christian morality, going back to the first episode, where I basically, you know, engage it, in, let's say, in a sort of a superficial way, in the sense that, you know, why talk about it? Right? Why bring this up, okay? And the stupid examples that you have people coming and giving testimonies, right? I mean, with all due respect, it's stupid in the sense of the way it comes out, okay? The way it sort of plays out for the audience, right? You have someone coming in, you know, telling everyone else about, oh, you know, I'm such a good person. And I've seen this in many Christian, you know, prayer groups and within evangelical circles, and even now with the, I don't know what you call them, really, these YouTube ministries, right, people telling about their life, you know, talking about how bad they were, and then they encountered Jesus Christ, and now they converted. It's like a replay, right? It's like some kind of it's like a narrative that keeps replaying itself again and again. Right? You know, oh, I was lost, I was away from God, then I encountered Jesus. I read the Bible, and I, I came across this Bible study. Oh, I met this person who introduced me to this prayer group. And then my life changed, you know, I became this good person, I became this holy person, okay? I started going to church, you know, I... Well, what's the usual one? Oh, I gave up my life of sin. I stopped drinking, right? I stopped, uh, I don't know, consuming pornography. Or recently there was some guy, I don't know who it was, some some guy from, I think it was Focus Catholic, something called Focus Catholic on YouTube. Look, someone should check that out. A lot of these Catholic people give speeches. And it's, it's okay. I mean, some someone's pretty good. I think Jim Caviezel was there at one point. Anyway, there's something called Focus Catholic. And some guy basically called Chris Stefanczyk, he basically says, you know, before Jesus Christ, before I met Christ, whatever the expression, I was different, I was sinful, I was objectifying women, I think that was one of the examples. This is very, I want it's ludicrous, but in the sense that it seems very superficial. 
it seems, I won't say it's, it's sincere, because I think the people do mean what they say, but it lacks substance, okay? I mean, purely, I mean, for example, in Christianity, and this is something I'm going to get into later, is that we never stop being sinners, okay? And this is something for, for a person of a Christian disposition, of course, if you're atheistic or secular, you wouldn't care one bit, but the idea is that sin is not something that ever leaves us. We are carriers, essentially, right? We are like, it's like vampirism. If you're a vampire, it's in the blood, right? I think in Blade, I think in the movies, uh, vampirism is like a virus, right? That stays in the system, that never goes away. And in fact, viruses are like that. If you get a virus, it's almost impossible to get rid of it. Because they, they enter a dormant stage, right? And they just live there without causing any symptoms. And then they sort of emerge. If they're triggered, right? If your immune system gets weak, if you get other environmental or internal stimuli, can provoke a reaction, okay? So my point is that when it comes to sin, we're never really rid of it, okay? We're never really out of it, okay? Our predilection towards evil always remains. Our willingness to do what is wrong is never too far away, okay? And that is a reality you're going to have to contend with. Now, given that's the case, now that, that's a fundamental nature of reality, okay? You and I cannot stop being sinners, okay? If you want to look at it from that perspective, of course, if you are secular atheist, you can say, okay, that's just human frailty, that's just you know, lack of discipline and lack of education or you know, maybe that's poor upbringing or effects on childhood, whatever the factors, social, environmental, psychological, psychosocial, okay? Now, this is an important context of Christian morality because the idea that you can somehow teach people how to be good, that you can somehow preach purity and good Christian conduct and sort of instill it from outside, that's kind of silly. Now, it is not to say that it is not worthwhile. It is not to say that it is not, that it should not be done. Okay, we all need value systems. Okay, I'm personally in favor of, you know, let's say something like a fundamental Christian education, one could say, right, where parents or, I don't know, whoever instills a certain set of principles and values, okay? And if, for example, if you've been to countries like England, okay, you discern that very quickly, right? People from those parts of the world, there's clearly a deeper ethic, right? There's something about them which indicates that they were raised, let's say, within a Christian, uh, one could say, moral matrix. There's something about them that's deeply connected to a Christian worldview that of love, that of brotherhood, that of forgiveness, that of charity, that of humility, okay? And it's so natural. I mean, I'm just speaking of the English populace, I noticed this. They don't have to try. They don't have, they're not doing it because they have to. They're not doing it because they want to get something in return. They're not doing it just for the show. It's who they are. And they're doing it from a position of strength and knowledge, okay? There's something very genuine about the way they do it. And it's very interesting, okay? Now, that, in a sense, indicates the importance of, of a Christian ethic, Christian principles, okay? But that does not remove our capacity for evil. We all carry the potential to do horrible things. And that is very important for us to consider. Now, when it comes to this particular debate on Christian morality, the main problem with it, and there are many actually that we can get into, but fundamentally, okay, the fundamental problem with Christian morality is that it is, it focuses on the wrong things. It focuses on making people good, on making people holy, on making people better versions or the way that Jesus Christ or what God wants us to be. Now, whilst that is true fundamentally, right, I mean, we have to become something better. There is some kind of an ideal state or ideal condition, and we have to become more like it, okay? And that is fine, okay? And in fact, that in, in a sense corresponds to all areas of life. In many ways, even secular worldviews, you know, which are not tethered to a Christian one, still affirm the principle of betterment, of improvement. The whole personal development thing, personal and professional development, which is really caught on across, I think, all spheres of culture now, really embraces that principle of constant improvement, constant learning, okay? You know, that will also work into your moral realm, right? I mean, after all, if you're treating people badly, if you're hurting yourself, if you're not 
being responsible, you know, that's bad for everyone. So clearly there's a, let's say, a religious precedent, but also it has grounding in the secular world as well. The problem is this, when it comes to Christianity, okay, when it comes to its evangelization, when it comes to its growth, when it comes to its, the way the faith is articulated, the way it is made to be perceived, there are a number of problems that emerge in the course of this, okay? In order to understand this, there are three issues I think are worth considering, okay? And they are, one, the Christian idea of goodness is too simplistic. Two, immorality does not always equal disobedience to God. Three, God does not want us to be good. Okay, so what do I mean by this? Let's start with the first point. The idea of Christian goodness is too simplistic. And what I mean by that is that Oftentimes when people, religious people talk about goodness and holiness and morality and good moral conduct, they're looking at human life within a very narrow prism. Okay? They're looking at human conduct within the framework of morality, of what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable, what you should or should not do. Oftentimes a reference point is some of the Ten Commandments, right? or the teachings of the Catechism, or the teachings that have been outlined in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, as an example, or what your priest says, or what's written in some holy text. Whatever the qualified system of morals that are deemed acceptable and the need to live up to them, that becomes a defining standard, okay? And that means your life as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of God, is required to live up to that standard. You're made to somehow align yourself in a way that meets those expectations, okay? That you can somehow be this good person, somehow be this moral, holy person who follows all the laws, who lives a life according to the teachings. And we see this problem, especially, I think, in the Protestant world, certainly in these born-again Christian groups, okay, if you notice them, a lot of them say, oh, you know, I was lost, and I was away from God, and I'm basically reiterating my point, which I made earlier today, which is that somehow you sort of convert, okay, you meet Jesus Christ, you give your life to Jesus, and then you just sort of this, you know, lo and behold, a new whole person, okay, all your evil is gone, and now you're just perfect, okay, you're amazing. Frankly, I don't believe that for a second, I don't think that that is true in any way. I think the whole idea of you know, somehow you become born again in a very particularly the moral sense, okay, that you somehow lost your predilection for evil, you're immune to temptation, okay, that you have a tremendous resilience, that you're not going to be envious or vindictive or horny, okay, that you're somehow this holy angelic figure. And I think that whole idea is just BS. Okay? I mean, I don't think that's true. And in fact, there have been some cases, I don't want to get into that here, but again, I don't want to get into the abuse scandals and so on, but it's happening also in the Protestant world, interestingly enough. I just encountered some example, like in these youth groups. I don't want to get into it here. The listener can do his own research. But the danger here is that you can somehow create this false sense of security. You know, that if you're with God, you're good. Okay, if, you're with, if you make the conversion, you embrace Jesus Christ, you're going to church, you're saying your prayers, you're you know, doing your Bible study and so on. And most importantly, if you're sleeping with the right person or you're not sleeping with anyone, depending on your vocation, that you're somehow good, that somehow God loves you, that God accepts you. Well, God's going to love us anyway. But the idea is that, that somehow you live up to those standards, you live up to those expectations, and everything else is fine. Everything else is sort of good, okay? And I don't think that's true, okay? I don't think that that is right. I don't think that really fits the equation when it comes to the idea of what goodness actually is. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to serve or make? What does it mean to follow in the footsteps of the creator of the universe? Not just someone whose views have been structured and presented in a religious text. It's not just the God of the Bible or the God of the Torah or the God of the Quran, okay? There's more to God, okay? Whatever he is, we don't really know who God is, by the way, folks. This is something I'll get back to. Is that we don't know, all right? We simply don't. I'll tell you, a good example of it is the language, okay? The idea of being good, being holy, being pure, 
I mean, even the idea of the most obvious, you know, the idea of eternal life, okay? The idea of going to heaven, okay? The idea of being, what is that? Being born again, okay? What does that even mean? The Nicodemus example, right? Some of you may have heard the story in the Bible where some guy comes to Jesus in the night and says, you know, he has his conversation about, you know, eternal life and morality and so on. And Jesus says, the idea of being born again, I mean, even the idea of being born again in the spirit, what does that even mean? What does that mean to be born again? What is the mechanics of that process? Do, do we know? What is the physics like, you know? How does one be born again of the spirit? How does the spirit work? Some kind of a ghost? You know, we can't even see the spirit. So how are we supposed to be born again? I mean, the whole language itself is very abstract, okay? It's very unscientific. It's impossible to ground any of these things. Now, this is not that they're wrong, that we should dismiss them, but the sheer ambiguity, right? The sheer, the lack of basis, okay, in empirical reality, okay? But even rationally, it makes no sense, right? To be born of the spirit. Now, I'm not being cynical, listener. If you, if you happen to be Christian who's listening to this, I mean, I am very sympathetic to the Christian worldview, okay? But there has to be a degree of greater sophistication when it comes to understanding this, and therein lies the problem. Or rather, therein lies the answer. Because we don't know so much about these things, we don't understand what these things even mean. I mean, the idea that we had to believe in Jesus to be saved. What does that even mean? Most people in the world are not even Christian, okay? Most people are Buddhist or Hindu, atheist or Muslim. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. They never will. They'll never be Christian. How will they be saved? I mean, I'm not saying this to, to undermine Christianity because that's been the whipping boy of this podcast. But my point is, listener, we need to be more sophisticated in our understanding of these questions. Which means, and this argument circles back to the question about human conduct, about good human behavior, about being moral. There's more to it than that. There's much more to the idea of human morality and Christian morality, it seems to me, than this simplistic idea of being good, essentially being sexually pure. That, that's the main thing, right? That's what these people all you know, go on about. And keeping the commandments and not you know, being indulgent, not being materialistic, okay? You know, not having great hopes and aspirations wanting to be like Jesus, and Jesus as we know, I think I mentioned this before, you know, he's someone who did nothing with his life, you know, he didn't have a job, he didn't have a career, he didn't achieve or attain anything, and everything else sort of happened, right? And that's not a criticism in any way, but it is what it is. Okay, Jesus Christ didn't do much with his life, he just lived as a person, and then of course, he claimed certain things, and he of course, he got in trouble with the Roman authorities, and he was executed, but because he's God, he rose again, and that's the story. Now, for us, there's, there's little to take away from that. And in fact, the idea of being good, this goes back, is the point. The idea of being good is simplistic because it goes back to the question about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in a way, is very simplistic. Jesus' life was not eventful. He didn't have a career. He didn't have relationships. He didn't have the aspirations that you and I have. Okay? He didn't have the want to do things, to achieve things. He didn't go to war. He didn't pursue women. He did none of those things okay? because he was God. He had everything anywhere. So the point is, listener, it's very simplistic. The idea of Christian goodness, if it's based on the archetype of Christ, as it's presented in scripture, then what we are left with is a highly reductive idea of goodness. It's very simplistic. And even in that context, we're looking at something that happened 2,000 years ago, right? It's pre-scientific. So whatever wisdom it has in terms of its relevance to our lives today is reductive. It's inadequate. Okay, we can't say Jesus Christ is this or that. We don't know who he is. We can't relate to him as a person. Even on the moralistic example of Christ, being a good person is not... I can say I might get in trouble actually because in fact I won't use an example here but my point is listener is that there's more to it than this and we have to be very careful in how we engage this and when you have people talk about holiness and morality and heaven and reward and eternal life you know stop just stop okay think for a moment what these things even mean what does that mean to my life critically what does it mean to my life today this is the real problem to be good understand this listener is not always about doing good things but it's about doing the right thing and the right thing is not always a good thing 
It's about making tough choices. It's about making difficult. It's about making choices which takes you out of your comfort zone. Now think about this for a second. You can be a very good person in a very comfortable environment. Okay, you can be a very holy moral person if the environment around you does not challenge you. But to make things better, to improve things, to make life more worthwhile, to build something, you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to get out of that area of predictability. Okay, and when you do that, you will be challenged. You will be challenged morally. You'll be challenged psychologically. And that may compel you, I would say it almost inevitable to do the right thing, but it may also be the sinful thing, maybe the moral thing. But it is necessary. It is sort of a process that you have to go through. Right? Whereas if your idea is to be good, to be like Jesus, and look at Jesus' life, he didn't do anything. He basically made radical claims about being God and so on. Fine. But his own life, you know, he didn't do much, if you think about it, right? I mean, he didn't like work in again, the Bible doesn't tell us who Jesus is. That's a real problem at the moment. Okay. That's a real hurdle we face with. But my point is, listener, you have to go out and do things, express yourself, okay? And I guess in a way, Jesus did do it, but he was saying that he claimed to be God, right? And that, that's as radical as it gets. My point, listener, is that, you know, to be good all the time means you're going to be constrained. You will be constrained. You will be restrained as a person. You will not experience new things. You will not do new things. You will not go beyond. And when you do so, you'll be challenged morally. You will make mistakes. You will get angry. You will hurt people, potentially. You will step on other people, okay? You would challenge conventions, you would challenge normality, and you will sin. And that is a precondition to what comes after. And this takes us to point number two. Immorality does not always equal disobedience to God. Now, I've already prefaced this at the conclusion of my previous point. Committing sin is not always a bad thing in the sense that it's not always done in a way to, as a way to challenge God. Okay? It's not always as a way to say no to God. Okay? A lot of the times we commit sin or we act in a, in a way that we should not. We're doing it because we think it's the right thing to do, okay? I mean, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, okay? When Adam ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil from the tree, right? He did it because Eve told him to eat it, okay? Eve gave him the fruit, etc. And he did it because he thought it was good, okay? There's a part where Adam looks at the fruit or Eve looks at it and says it looks nice and Satan or the serpent was telling him to eat and then and, and Satan made a very good point. He said, look, if you eat the fruit, you'll become like God and so on. And when they do eat the fruit, there is a degree of enlightenment. Because they realized that they were naked and they start clothing themselves. So, of course, they should not have done it. It was a wrong thing to do. But it is something that had to happen. I mean, this is not to say that the fall of man should have happened because all the bad things have resulted from it. But it is to say that at times, the wrong choice has to be made. The sin needs to be committed. The mistake, in many ways, opens the door to something else. The error is the answer. Not that it necessarily is, not that it should be. Ideally, it ought not to be. But sometimes it has to happen. And if you go back to creation itself, let me just push this example forward. We see when God condemns Adam and Eve and the serpent for what they had done. Of course, I mean, this is kind of trivial, right? It's like eating a stupid fruit and God getting angry. That's another subject which I'll get into later. You know, why does God have to get so pissed off about a damn fruit, right? What the hell, okay? Adam ate the fruit, fine. Don't eat the fruit. You disobey it. I'm going to put you in detention for five minutes or five days. You come back, everything will be fine. There's much more to this, listener, so I, I don't want to get into that here. The metaphysics of the fall are is tremendous, but I'll just leave you with this. When God condemns Adam and Eve, particularly when he condemns Eve, which is probably the most powerful thing in that story, he basically prefigures the coming of Christ. He tells them, okay, look, this is what has happened. Okay, the serpent, what you've done, you'll suffer for this, etc. You know, the dust of water, dust thou shall return. That's the closing statement. I mean, this is the saddest thing in the Bible, I think. That's the condemnation of man, the fall of man. But the statement that man will become dust is preceded, I think, by God telling Eve that she will give birth to Jesus Christ. I think God says, from your seed, right, someone will come. And that is Jesus. God will be born of us. God will become man through Eve, okay, the woman who led to the fall. There's something beautiful in that. 
something tragic but also beautiful. Eve did something wrong. She disobeyed God and ate the fruit, gave it to her husband. But God is going to save us through the sin itself. Okay. Now this is for the Christian listener or someone who has a Christian heritage. You probably know what I'm talking about. Is it something evil produces something good, which means the evil in a way had to happen. Okay. Adam had to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in order for the Son of Man to come into this world. And this logic, if you apply that to other areas of your life, you start to see it makes more sense. Sometimes a bad choice has to be made. Sometimes the evil needs to be embraced. Sometimes the sin has to be committed. Okay, it's a bit like saying, now how do you know something is wrong? I mean, please be careful when I say this. Right? How do you know something is not right if you have not done it? Okay, it's like a lot of these people proselytizing others about, you know, don't have premarital relations. Hold off. Be good. You know, don't be materialistic. Don't pursue money. Don't pursue fame. Don't pursue riches. But look at these people who are talking. Right? These priests and nuns and you know these who look like mediocrities, I mean, with all due respect. These are people who don't seem to do anything with their life. They don't achieve anything. They're not famous. They're not rich. They're not popular. And we want those things, isn't it, folks? And with good reason. It makes more sense if someone who has all of those things to say it rather than these, you know, losers telling us about what we should or should not do when they themselves don't embody anything that you and I want to see in life. Think about that for a second. Something is good or bad, but we have to see it for ourselves. We have to experience it for ourselves, okay? It's, it's different, okay? I mean, of course, there are some things which are objectively bad. Let's just take the example of the, the attack in Afghanistan, right? Recently, there was an attack. Some of you may know, servicemen were killed, 100-plus Afghans were killed. Tragedy. It's terrible. Why do it? Why hurt innocent people? Why hurt people? Especially when they're trying to help others and so on, and they're trying to evacuate. Let's not get into the specific, but the point is don't hurt people. Like, why destroy life like that? That's objectively bad. Now, that is different from saying someone who's greedy, right? Who likes to make a lot of money, right? Someone who's like a workaholic, who has little time for his family. Okay, that's not good, but at least if he provides for the family, that's okay. Of course, you should spend more time. You know, what can you say about someone who is promiscuous? You can't really help them, can you? I mean, of course, they can sort of moderate their behaviors. Of course, if they stray too far, they might get in trouble. But, you know, if it's consensual, you know, it should be consensual. There's only that much you can do. And the same thing with other kinds of indulgences, right? What's wrong with someone wanting to be famous? Is a girl wants to become a Instagram model, she wants to, you know, have a, a million subscribers. What's wrong with that? Okay. I remember once watching this video by, who was it, Father Schmitz. He's another American priest like Bishop Barron. No, he was talking about social media and he was basically saying, oh, this girl, you know, she's, people shouldn't even you know, try to build up a profile, build up a reputation online. And that's somehow not great because a lot of people are doing it. And a lot of the, how can I say, non-Christian people are doing it because a lot of the Christian young people, let's say, right, they're not the most hip. They're not the most out there. They're not the most famous. Okay. And understandably so, right? I mean, if you're going to spend your time listening to these freaks, I mean, who don't do anything with your life, you know, you're going to end up a mediocrity like them, okay? It's no wonder young people are switching out of religion because if you think about it, the whole emphasis on Christian morality and good conduct, you're trying to be a good person, heck, you're not going to do anything with your life. You're going to be worried about your morality or going to be, if you're a young girl, you'll be worried about your cleavage or how much hair you show or if you get my drift. I mean, the point is that, you know, you're not going to put yourself out there, okay? And going back to this video by Father Schmitz, he has this young girl who's like this you know, popular Instagram model and he puts up a picture of her in a bikini. And now she's moved on. She doesn't want that life because it's too much. Now she wants to, I don't know, become a good Christian and, you know, stay at home and, you know, listen to YouTube videos about giving up the pursuit of pleasure, power and, and honor. You see the problem with this approach, right? Trying to be good is necessarily a curtailing force. It necessarily impedes you. It necessarily curtails your spirit. In many ways, it, it undermines you. It disempowers your ability to do things. And not in a bad way. Listen to me. It's not about trying to be immoral. It's not about wanting to, you know, hurt people. It's not about trying to become some or some kind of serial killer or want to go on some genocidal campaign. It is about wanting to live a life of meaning and joy and fulfillment. Okay? That is not a bad thing, is it, folks? It is not. 
And I think these people don't understand this. But they are right in saying, look, if you if you go down the path of seeking fame, fortune, honor, etc., there will be sin, there will be morality, there will be temptation, there will be chances for, for greed, for pride, for arrogance. But that's fine. Let it let's see what happens. Let, let's go for it. Let's do it. Let's experience it. You need to experience it in a responsible way. But then you learn from it, you grow from it, okay? You see, okay, this is what I did, this is what I shouldn't do, and then you become a better person, you become a fuller person. You have to see this dialectically. There are contradictions, but you do something, it's not good, but you do it anyway, and then you grow from it, you learn from it, and you move forward. And these contradictions, they produce new outcomes. There's something synthetical about what results from it. And you're never going to get there if you haven't done it, if you haven't been there. You need to have been there and done that. That's the expression, okay? You need to have had your time. You need to have, I mean, how can you say no to something if you never had it? That's the point. And the idea of being good or the idea of being a good Christian, the Christian moral argument is a disempowering one. It eats away at your initiative. You become curtailed as a person. And it is, in a way, anti-humanistic. Which brings us to point number three. God does not want us to be good. Okay, point number three. What does that mean? It means, basically, the idea of being a Christian is not about being good. Okay, the idea of following God is not about being a good person. The idea of serving God is not about being holy. Contrary to what you may encounter in Scripture, St. Paul is a real culprit in this, in this context, I would say. He's the real villain, if I may say so, when it comes to the idea of Christian morality. He's the one who drove down this point of trying to be good and holy so that God will send you to heaven and the rest of us will all go to hell, right? This is fundamentally flawed. In many ways, it's anti-Christian. In many ways, St. Paul contradicts the teachings of Christ. But that's the topic for another time. But the point here is this, listener. The point is that when it comes to serving God or following God or doing God's will, we have to be careful. We need to understand this not from, from the point of view of someone who's looking down on us and telling us how to live. No, someone who's telling us how to lead our lives in a right way, in a good way, in a moral way, rather as someone who's leading us from within. To serve God, to do God's will, in many ways, it's something I've come to understand is that it's about doing what is good for you. The idea of trying to be good or doing God's will, doing God's will equals being good. And being good essentially means following the teachings and the commandments, etc. I don't think that follows correctly. I don't think it follows logically. I don't think it follows necessarily. In fact, I would argue that there are problems with this view. But simply to summarize, I don't want to get into this too much now, but basically to close this point, to do what is good, to do what is right, to do God's will, to follow God, to follow his example, okay? What that means is to do what is good for you and for your life. And that may or may not be following God. That may or may not be doing quote-unquote God's will. That may or may not mean following the teachings of religion. Think about this for a second. Look at this in reverse. Okay, why are people secularizing? Why are people leaving the church? Why are people alienated with religion? Because they can't get anything from it. They don't see anything hopeful in it. They don't see anything joyful coming from the religious experience. They don't see anything positive, okay, in being a part of a religious way of life. They or we are not able to get what we want by being religious. It has no functional utility. I already mentioned this. It provides no existential hope. It provides no answers to pressing problems like finding a cure for cancer, okay, or coming global warming or something like that. Okay, you can have your debate about the global warming is real or not. That's, that's a different subject. But it doesn't tell us how to find a cure for harmful viruses. It doesn't really tell us how those things can be addressed. It's very abstract. It's very vague. It's all about, and what it does tell us is about we have to be good. It's essentially a rule book about following God and then embracing the teachings. And then we have, you know, these abstract concepts like, you know, being born of the spirit, which the mechanics are completely off. There's nothing there. We don't know how these things work out. You know, what does that even mean to... I already made my point. The point, listener, is that you need to make your life better. Okay, that is what I'm getting at here. And I think God himself wants us to do that. And how that happens is a big question. It's a big if. We don't know how that is. There is no one universal method of how your life can get better for you. It's unique for each person. Of course, there are common principles like hard work, discipline, honesty, integrity, creativity, 
the willingness to take risks, which I think is a critical point, which I will engage further in a future episode. The idea of growing as a person is central to the idea of goodness, the idea of serving God. And to do that, however, it cannot or rather it does not necessarily follow a set example of rules and regulations and codes and dictums or even beliefs and convictions. Okay, Someone cannot believe in Jesus Christ and they can still serve God. Someone cannot believe in God but still be a servant of the divine. Someone can reject God but still end up doing God's will. Someone can be the worst person in the world morally but they can still, can still be good in the eyes of God. And you and I don't know how that is. You and I cannot be the judge. What we can agree on, however, is that life matters. Your life matters. And it is up to you, me, and everybody to make our lives better. How that happens, in what way is it going to happen, what are the mistakes we're going to make in that process, we don't know. But in a way, it's better that we do make them. All right, folks, this is the New Humanist Podcast. I'm Damien. This is episode 41, the sixth of part six. And see you guys next time. 